ABC Grandstand. Sports coverage like no other. 105.7 ABC Darwin 783 in Alice Springs, 15 minutes away from the news at 12 o'clock. Ian Butterworth with you in the grandstand chair, Charlie King in Alice Springs, and we'll uh, hear Charlie King with Rob Cross, um, Greg McAdam and Chris Connolly later on to call the Port Adelaide-Melbourne Demons game and uh, looking forward to that very, very much. And if I may say so... Go the D's, but uh, we can't talk about the Port Adelaide and the Demons. We've got to talk about uh, Territory AFL. Matthew Stephen, thanks very much once again for coming in. It's it's terrific, and I'm learning. I'm learning so much. And we're actually sitting, as I saw in a photo, I think two or three weeks ago, on what was a former boxing ring, and we had a couple of Indigenous young lads slugging it out. But today we're going to be talking AFL or NTFL in the Northern Territory with the Indigenous input. Yes, Ian. Uh, look, it's a fascinating story, and uh, when Charlie. Uh, mentioned to me that it was uh, Reconciliation Week uh, and a feature of the AFL. I thought it would be interesting to reflect on uh, why it was that uh, Northern Territory footballers are so outspoken on these issues. Uh, Gilbert McAdam was, of course, there the day that Nicky Winmar lifted the Guernsey and pointed to his skin as the Collingwood supporters were howling at them. Gilbert McAdam had had a... Um, and I must say, Gilbert McAdam, of course, the brother of uh, Greg McAdam, whom we were speaking with earlier today. So in, indeed, these, it fits these are in oft- nicely. They, these are often uh, family stories, and uh, Gilbert, best on ground performance, had the Collingwood uh, uh, supporters in a lather, and uh, and and and, and the and the, uh, the howls were uh, racist. Um, there's no question about it. Uh, Michael Long, of course, many people know his story and his fight against racism, and indeed, why we had the bicentennial uh, uh, AFL um, All Stars. Indigenous All-Stars games here and Andrew McLeod just recently uh, speaking about uh, the Indigenous round and how we should be looking at anti-racism. What's probably not as well known is just why Northern Territory footballers have this um, uh, deeply embedded uh, history in fighting against racism and people may not be aware of just how difficult it was for early Aboriginal footballers and Chinese footballers and anybody other than white footballers playing uh, football here in the Northern Territory. Um, When football first started here in 1916, up until that point, up until the 20th century, sport in the Northern Territory had largely been a white-only zone. Sport was uh, uh, segregated. Aboriginal people would be rarely given an opportunity to play, and if it was, it was very much uh, as an entertainment. They weren't considered serious sportsmen. Uh, Greasy pig uh, performances, they'd be in special segregated races. It was a very different situation to what people are dealing with today. When Australian rules began here, um, it was the first time uh, Aboriginal players were actually part of the main game. A couple of very important names uh, Willie Allen, who had began as a, a cricket champion and uh, in uh, 1916 was 33 years old. Um, he uh, was one of the very first uh, uh, Aboriginal players, along with Reuben Cooper, a very well-known uh, wow, yeah. na- name here in the Northern Territory. Reuben Cooper was a young man of 16 years of age. Willie Allen only played a handful of games before he went uh, away to World War One as a light horseman, which is a, which is a very interesting story in itself. But from that time, in Indigenous players literally fought to play football here in the Northern Territory. It was very much a fight for rights. And it was the talent and determination these footballers displayed on the football ground that that carried through to so many other parts of their life. 
Matthew, I must say before you before you go on, because uh, it's uh, we're about ten minutes away from the news, and we're going to be talking netball. But you mentioned the name Cabillo. We were just talking off air a little bit earlier, and an amazing story that the Cabillos were actually asked to leave Wanderers, and of course we we see Wanderers in this day and age almost synonymous with, with the Cabillo name. Or well, indeed. In the late 1920s, the, there was, in fact, uh, probably the best-known uh, uh, event in terms of sports history in the Territory and racism when there was a colour bar. Aboriginal, non-white uh, footballers were literally barred from playing football. It was a white-only football league and it was, in fact, sporting apartheid. So for three years, those men weren't able to play. Many, many of the uh, families that we connect with Darwin football today, the Cabillos, the McGuinnesses, the Hazelbanes, Snape, Shepherds, uh, Armets, they were all wild wow. from playing. They simply weren't allowed to play. Now, that, that didn't stop them from playing. They actually formed their own football league. Good on them. Basically, <laughs> basically said, you know, up yours, we're going to yep. keep playing. Yep. Later on, uh, that, 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 that had a, the Football League came back together in the late uh, 1920s. But again, when the um, garrison came to town in 1933, the officers of the garrison refused to allow the garrison players to play with what uh, were called coloured football players. And I've just got a, a letter here that I'll just try and read the, the, the conclusion. It's written by Ponto Cabillo. It's 1933. And uh, I was struck with the dignified way that uh, Ponto Capillo de dealt with this. This is the conclusion of his letter. In conclusion, may we say that we appreciate the sportsmanship displayed by the majority of the members of the club and all the members of the garrison and realise that the trouble has not been caused by them but by the military authorities who wish to keep the soldiers from fraternising with us and a few, a very few, members of the club whose superiority complex outweighs their sportsmanship. That was um, uh, 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 an example of how um, these uh, uh, Aboriginal football players refused to just simply uh, lie down and um, uh, uh, fought for their rights all the time through football. Right up until World War II, that remained the, the, the case. It wasn't an easy road to hoe at all. So was there a, was there a point in history where the whites and non-whites were accepted in the NTFL to play football? Look, uh, effectively through the 1930s, uh, the, the incident at the garrison uh, ironically created a super team because all the Wanderers players, all the Cabillo brothers at the time, there was about five of them, and I think uh, uh, the Snapes and the Hazelbanes may have been involved in this as well. They all went across and played for Buffaloes, and of course Buffaloes were in every grand final <laughs> for, for, the, for the rest of the decade. After World War II, World War II was particularly important in terms of race relations here in the Northern Territory because uh, during the war, many Aboriginal Aboriginal men uh, were employed by the armed forces and uh, uh, they, they got a much better grasp of their rights in relation to society in general. And after World War II, um, uh, many, of these, so, uh, many of these Aboriginal people were still actually working for the armed forces. There were men working for transport divisions, there were men working for the RAAF. So after World War II, um, there were Aboriginal footballers uh, from remote communities 
opportunities for the first time playing in the NTFL. And uh, Tommy Baranjak, um, uh, Tadawali, who of course was uh, a star in Jeddah, these were famous players for, for the Wanderers who were right at the forefront of introducing this uh, incredible style of football to the NTFL. And of course St Mary's uh, entered the fray in the early 1950s. So, so the players of today who, who still speak out quite strongly have uh, fathers and grandfathers who all had to fight very hard for the right to play football and it certainly wasn't something that they took for granted and I think that legacy is still shines through as uh, Indigenous players uh, just continually highlight that uh, although uh, we've still got a, a, a long way to come, uh, they've come a long way up till now. Is it uh, Our sport of course AFL is national and, and has sort of encroaching internationally and, we, and a couple of our celebrated, more celebrated players, we've got many celebrated players, uh, Michael Long and Andrew McLeod have had instances of racism in this day and age and, and they've actually not been afraid to stand up and say, look, that's enough, my boy, and uh, and they've actually taken it to uh, th th through the channels because the AFL, I suppose, have, have set up what seems to me to be reasonable lines of communication if these issues arise. Oh, the AFL's definitely been in the forefront of this and in a sense it was forced upon them. Um, uh, the bicentennial game, Michael Long's experiences, just simply calling out racism for what it is, completely unacceptable, has uh, made the AFL uh, introduce uh, racial vilification uh, bylaws which were amongst the first in Australia when they were introduced and so they have been at the forefront of this and you can see how that's fl um, uh, flowing through to um, uh, today and Adam Goods's uh, a very strong stance recently just reinforced that although uh, things have changed for the better in uh, uh, the last 10-15 years there's still those that uh, will conduct themselves uh, inappropriately and it is important to call them out for what it is. Good on you Matthew, look terrific to catch up with you once again for our history and sports segment and certainly Indigenous sport in the Northern Territory and Indigenous athletes have played an important part. Men and women, more latterly, I suppose, the women. We've got uh, quite a number of wonderful Indigenous uh, athletes uh, among the female gender that have been involved in sport. But is just just very quickly, has it always been the case or do we, did we sort of focus and concentrate on the men early? Uh, look, uh, uh, very similar to the story with uh, AFL, uh, the period after World War II saw an enormous boom in women playing sport, but in particular Indigenous women uh, coming to the forefront. So so that's perhaps a, a, a topic for future segments. Nice segue into perhaps a, a future segment, as you mentioned. Matthew, uh, Stephen, terrific to catch up with you. Thanks very much for your time. Always a pleasure.